Welcome to Haunted Road, a production of iHeartRadio and Grim and Mild from Aaron Mankey. Listener discretion is advised. In the summer of 2019, I was sitting around a pleasant dining table in a beautiful old home in Rhode Island, watching a family reminisce about what it was like to grow up there. They spoke of all the birthday parties and holidays they had. They talked about where their rooms were and where they put the Christmas tree every year. In that moment, the room was filled with laughter and joy, and you would never look at these folks and think anything traumatic had happened to them there. That was until one of the women who spent her childhood in the home softly touched my arm and whispered in my ear, I forgot to tell you something. Yes, I replied, smiling. She said, I forgot to tell you that every night I would go to bed and hear this in my ear. Seven soldiers in the wall, seven soldiers in the wall, seven soldiers in the wall, seven soldiers in the wall. She then proceeded to whisper a harsh stream of sounds and gibberish in my ear that was absolutely terrifying. She rocked back and looked at me with tears in her eyes. At some point during this moment of merriment, this sweet woman walked outside and got into the car and waited for her family. She declared that this would be the last time she would ever set foot in that house. I'm Amy Bruni, and this is Haunted Road. On 1677 Round Top Road in Burrowville, Rhode Island, there's a plot of land that seems much too small to hold all the contention and controversy surrounding it. Some folks refer to the house as being in Harrisville, which is also correct. Harrisville is a small town known for its historic homes, but it's part of the larger Burrowville. The house has been called the Old Arnold Estate, the Sutcliffe House, the Old Brook Farm, the Dexter Richardson House, the Harrisville Farmhouse, the farm on Round Top Road, and most notoriously, the Conjuring House. People can't really settle on when the farmhouse came into existence. Having personally been in the town clerk's office and after pulling the deeds myself, they go back incredibly far, but it's not quite clear when the house in its current form took shape. Some say 1736, others say 1836. Having been in the home numerous times and being pretty familiar with New England historic houses, My best guess is sometime in the 1700s. But the house fell into the hands of the Perrin family in 1970. They purchased it along with 200 acres from a gentleman named Mr. Kenyon. Mr. Kenyon had lived in the home for two decades and had no reason to warn the family of the incredible paranormal trauma they were about to experience because in his 20 years there, he never claimed to experience anything strange. Now, don't let that dissuade you from what the parents claim to have gone through. I've been on plenty of cases where one family has nothing happen in a home, only to have the next family move into a paranormal hotbed. I firmly believe some people either bring that energy with them or feed that sometimes long dormant energy into manifesting. The Perrin family consisted of parents Carolyn and Roger Perrin and their children Andrea, Nancy, Christine, Cindy, and April. Andrea has been the most willing to engage the public about the family's experiences in the home and has written three books on the subject. I know Andrea personally, and she is one of the most warm and incredible people you could meet. 
She's very passionate about what went on in that farm. And she also has some pretty amazing UFO stories, but those are for another day. The family claims that paranormal activity began just minutes after arriving. At first, it was just piles of dust or other things moving around on their own. It escalated to terrible smells, mysterious failures of the heating system, and objects thrown and glass shattered. They also reported that their beds would shake every morning at 5.15 a.m. That's not an alarm clock I want to wake up to. In 1973, the parents invited famed paranormal investigators Ed and Lorraine Warren into their home. Members of the Catholic Church, Ed was a paranormal investigator and self-taught demonologist, and Lorraine professed to be a clairvoyant and light worker. Together, they formed the New England Society for Psychic Research in 1952. If you're wondering if the experiences in the home were anything like the Conjuring film, when being interviewed to promote the film, Lorraine attested to the clock stopping at 3.07 a.m., birds flying into windows, and the family dog being found dead in the yard after it refused to go inside the house. However, the exorcism included in the film did not take place, though Lorraine did hold a seance during which Carolyn began speaking in tongues and along with the chair she was seated in, floated into the air before being thrown. It was at that point the Warrens were asked to leave. Andrea tells me there was even a bit of a physical altercation between Ed and Roger following the seance as well. The parents could simply not afford to leave the home, so did not do so until 1980. In the meantime, the 200-acre lot was reduced to 8 acres when the parents were forced to sell land to pay for flooding that occurred in their place of business. Eventually, Norma and Jerry Sutcliffe purchased the home, and it remained with the Sutcliffes until 2019, though Jerry passed in 2017. Initially, Norma and Jerry claimed there were paranormal happenings in the house, even calling in the TV show Ghost Hunters, which I used to be on, but this was before my time, to investigate in 2005. They said they experienced banging doors, voices chatting in the other room, footsteps leading to the opening of a door, chairs that vibrated, a fog inside the home, and once they saw a blue light flash across their bedroom. But... Since The Conjuring movie was released in 2013, Norma has been dedicated to downplaying and denying any claims of the paranormal within the house. It could be because of how disruptive the constant stream of people driving by the home or trying to actually break into the property became once the movie was released, or some claim it's because the Sutcliffs never received any compensation from the production of the film. None of the filming happened on the property, by the way. All I know is, when we filmed an episode of Kindred Spirits there in 2019, after Norma had sold the property to the most recent owners, Norma showed up in the driveway extremely upset, still defensive of the home she had sold months before, and before she had any knowledge of who we were or how we operate. I'm sure she has years of pent-up frustration with all the court proceedings, etc., and hopefully by now she has seen that the current owners aren't about misinformation. Now, despite whether or not the Sutcliffs experienced anything paranormal in the home, Norma did operate a daycare there for 20 years. I'd like to think she wouldn't have done so if she thought anything there was dangerous. Norma sold the home to Corey and Jennifer Heinzen, paranormal investigators and friends of mine, who we will be interviewing in a little bit. They bought the home in the summer of 2019 and immediately began investigating. They've had a slew of activity since they moved in, so much so that their teenage son is reluctant to stay there alone. 
before you decide to pop by the home yourself, know that the Heinzens have a dozen or more security cameras running on the property. Watching those cameras really puts into perspective just how many people drive by that house and how many people actually have the audacity to walk onto the property or try the front door. This is a residence, folks. The great news is the Heinzens have the full confidence of the remaining Perrin family members. We even brought them back to the property for our episode of Kindred Spirits we filmed there. It was surreal walking the grounds with them that first day, but I'll never forget walking with Cindy, who I spoke of in the intro to the show. She really seemed to be the most affected. She was relaying to me some memories of them as children playing in the yard, and I told her that my own daughter had been there earlier in the day to visit on our lunch break, and she had loved running around the grounds and exploring the little maze of rooms inside the house. Cindy was still looking in the distance when she matter-of-factly said, That's wonderful, but this is no place for children, and walked away from me. After the break, let's discuss who we think is haunting the farmhouse, and we'll also dispel some historical myths long associated with the home. And later on, we'll talk to Corey and Jen Heinzen, the current owners of the house, and talk about a new theory they have developed on who could be causing the haunting. Now, as far as deaths go at the house, there are a few that have been documented. In 1901, a Jarvis Smith died of exposure on the property. Jarvis had been tried and acquitted of a murder in 1898 or 1899, which may or may not be relevant, but was apparently his claim to fame. In 1903, Edwin Arnold was walking home from an event back to the house where he lived at the time and decided to take a shortcut and disappeared. He disappeared on October 24, 1903, and was not found until Saturday, December 7th, a full seven weeks later. A hunter found the remains leaning against a stone wall, as though he laid down to rest and just never resumed his journey. There is a claim that there are a lot of suicides nearby. While I don't have numbers of suicides versus population, I can say that as I looked through newspapers trying to find relevant occurrences nearby that could lead to a haunting, there definitely were more articles about folks taking their own lives than on any case I've researched. Enough that I mentioned it to Adam. I was not aware this was something that was brought up about the property at the time. There is a little book called The Black Book that records all sorts of unusual deaths in the area. Many historical areas have these. That's also probably where the parents and others got the idea for strange deaths nearby. Now, Bathsheba Sherman. That's a name anyone who has seen the original Conjuring movie is extremely familiar with. Unfortunately, just about everything you've heard about her is completely untrue. Bathsheba was the wife of a farmer whose land adjoined the original plot of land that is now where the house sits. We're not sure exactly how her name became mixed up in the lore of the house originally. Some say Lorraine Warren said the name during her time investigating the house. Others claim Carolyn Perrin found the name in historic records somewhere. Regardless, at some point in recent history, people began declaring that Bathsheba had been a witch. They even went so far as to say that she murdered an infant. In reality, Bathsheba died in 1885 and was buried beside her first husband in a nearby cemetery. The burial was presided over by a reverend, which is hardly something that would have happened if she was an accused witch and child murderer. 
Nowhere in history is her name associated with any of the rumors about her, and I can tell you the history of Burrowville is pretty well documented. I pour through old newspapers myself. You couldn't even visit a neighbor up the road without it being reported in the local paper. To this day, the local historical society has fought against this misinformation about Bathsheba. Her gravestone has been desecrated and knocked over so many times they have now removed it and put it in a safe location. Even Andrea Perrin has declared that the information passed around about Sherman is completely inaccurate, yet the damage has been done. It's the perfect example of why, in the world of paranormal investigation, you've got to get your historical facts as straight as you can. Ghosts may be hard to prove the existence of, but history is not. Now, believe it or not, this was actually a very high-level overview of the history of the farmhouse. I think it's best if we have a little chat with the new owners and get an idea of the activity level there now. Coming up, we'll talk to Corey and Jen Heinzen, paranormal investigators, friends of mine, and the most recent owners of the farm. All right, so I am now joined by Corey and Jennifer Heinzen, who are the very brave couple who actually purchased the farmhouse. And they're here to tell us their story and tell us what's going on there now. So welcome, guys. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us. Full disclosure, when we were setting up this interview, we had to reschedule it a number of times because something was always going wrong. And I told Corey, I blame the house. And he said, everyone blames the house. (laughs) (laughs) They do. Seems to be the default answer. So... (laughs) I mean, it makes sense, I guess. I mean, if I lived in the... But do you guys call it the the farmhouse, the conjuring house? What do you refer to it as? Whatever we won't get sued for, <laughs> I guess. We usually just refer to it as the farm. Yeah. The farm. Okay. Well, I feel like if I had bought the farm, I too would just blame everything on it. I think you have an out for life at this point. So <laughs> True. Very true. <laughs> So can you just kind of tell us how you came to own the house and why would you buy such a place? Honestly, it was a Facebook post at like four o'clock in the morning that I came across. It was in a random uh, ITC group that I was a member of at the time. And it was the first post in a while. And I was just like, well, that's kind of funny. And we had friends down in this area that actually knew the owner and got us in touch with the realtor and the realtor said yes in fact she was going to be putting it up for sale and she didn't want to put it on the market because there were certain people that she didn't want to have bidding on it and stuff like that so they actually had us sit down with her we were sitting down with the owner before we were even sitting down with the realtor and getting tours of the house and stuff and basically it was like for sale by owner if you will That's interesting. And so what was the talk like between you two when you made this decision to buy the house? What have your plans been for it? We planned to move in. I mean, it was like kind of a family decision. We were going to move in. It would have been Jen and I and our son, Tyler. He would have been starting his junior year of high school. Yeah. Maddie was in Maine in college. You know, he thought he would be like, the king of the high school. Yeah, the cool kid. Yeah, the cool kid. (laughs) And he ended up having an incident. And it just, I guess, I kind of overlooked it because him being an investigator with us. Yeah, he'd been doing it for a long time. It's not like none of this was brand new to him. Yeah, but I guess being totally immersed in it would be a different story. 
Yeah. And he just kind of tapped out and he's like, I can't do it. And Andrea gave him a walkthrough of the house as well. And I think watching the emotion on her face and everything that she went through tapped into the reality of living here would be totally different than investigating a location. Right. That makes sense. It's one thing to go into a place, you know, for a night or two and investigate, but you get to leave, assuming nothing follows you home. But, you know, it's totally different to kind of move into one of the most notoriously haunted homes in the world, really. And so I could see that being tough. So is he going back and forth between Maine or is he living there now? Or He's still up in Maine. It took him a long time before he'd come back here. And then when he finally did come back, he would travel here and there, not as much as we did. But then once COVID hit, it was too hard for him to travel with all the regulations and work and school. And so he's not here as often as we are. But I think he kind of likes it that way. I think he's okay with that. (laughs) So what was the breaking point for him? What happened to him? He, um, we were sleeping in one of the rooms We slept in two main rooms for like the first four months that we were down here, kind of getting a feel for the place and letting the spirits get used to us. Everybody thinks we're crazy, but that's just how we did it. (laughs) And he was sleeping in the room with us, sleeping in between Jen and I. And he said he heard footsteps coming down the stairway. And he said he ended up seeing this black mist. And like the way he described it, I know for a fact he saw it because my friend and I witnessed the same thing a few weeks prior. And he didn't mention it to us until later on. Yeah, it was the weekend of the Paracon here in Rhode Island. And he was supposed to be here with us for the entire weekend. And after the first night, he left. Corey's sister was driving from New York back up towards Maine. And he asked her to stop in and pick him up and bring him back up to Maine with her. So we didn't really know why. He just kind of said he was ready to go home. He didn't tell us why. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I remember that weekend because I think that's when you first came up to me and you were like, guess what we did? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It was still new to us. We'd only been here for a couple weeks, three weeks. Three weeks, four weeks. Yeah. Yeah. So Andrea was here that weekend as well. And she's the one that walked him through the house. I think everything just hit him all at once that weekend and seeing, visually seeing that black mass himself was, that was it for him. (laughs) Well, I also think that For our episode of Kindred, we brought the parents back into the house, as many of them as we could. You know, some of them have passed on. And it was, it really did something to the energy in the house. And so I could almost see having Andrea back for the first time in so long could have definitely caused a shift that would, you know, kind of wake something up. Do you think that probably was part of it? I think it was part of it, yeah. Okay, well, so what's going on in the house currently? What's the activity level like? I mean, the teams that have been coming in have been getting some extraordinary stuff. For us, it's just, it's normal stuff. It's like, if you see it, it, you see it. If not, you don't. You know, the teams have been just getting some phenomenal catches. But for us, like, I think the last time we had something happen is when the door opened as we were watching TV. Yeah. We just sat there and watched it open. It's like, oh, if you want to come in, watch TV, come in, watch TV. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, you know, it's, it is what it is. You just kind of get used to it. So you guys basically at this point, do you teams rent it out for the night or how do you work that? You have a lot of investigators coming in and out. I see them posting quite often. Yeah, we, we're doing overnight investigations where we do allow teams to come in as a group and investigate overnight. 
we have a lot of people reaching out trying to do day tours, but with COVID, it's so hard to regulate. Like the teams that come in at night, they book together, they stay together, they already know each other, they've already been exposed to each other so that no strangers are being mixed. But most weekends, we have people here that are investigating and Yeah, we just do Friday, Saturday, and Sundays. Yeah, that makes sense. And do you kind of give them a little rundown beforehand of things that are off limits? Or do you feel like everyone's been mostly respectful? Oh, absolutely. You know, we we tell them, you know, treat our house as you'd want your house treated. Because regardless what you think, we, we have to deal with the consequences of whatever you do during your time here. So no seances, no trying to cross over spirits and stuff like that can't come in here under the influence of alcohol or drugs. And we do keep an eye on them with the cameras and stuff like that. If we see something stupid going on, which surprisingly we never have, we'd put a nix on that real quick. So, I mean, ultimately, you're the one that has to live with whatever happens there. Overall, the paranormal community has kind of made a shift in the last few years to being a lot more respectful. I know when I first started investigating, and Corey, you know too, because Corey a long time ago helped me with events up in New Hampshire. And you can attest to, you know, when people investigate for the first time or they get into groups, they get very excited. And sometimes they have this inclination to start provoking and, and getting rough to get spirits agitated. Have you had any indication in all these investigations going on? Have you had any indication or clues as to who you think is haunting the farm? Oh, God. We still don't. Like, we still get multiple names. I mean, I guess we could say we we know for sure that there's at least a man. Yeah, there's a man that he's very, very prevalent when we have all female teams here. And from what some of the psychics on the teams have described him as is like a just a giant man like a quaker outfit and he gives the all-female teams a hard time kind of like because he's very very proper like where's the men why am i talking to females kind of thing and that's really the only one we've really noticed yeah i mean i'm eager to kind of get back there at some point because i know you know we kind of finished up our investigation with kindred that i felt went really well i felt like we provided a lot of closure for the parents which was pretty great. But I always go back to, like, I think of Edwin Arnold a lot just because he was walking home to his family and then died and wasn't found for weeks. And that to me is like, that's kind of a classic spirit, I feel like, that would come back to the house, like never made it home, was found seven weeks later leaning up against a fence, like he just kind of sat down to rest and didn't wake up. I just, I don't know, there's something about that death to me that resonates. I'm so curious if it's him. No, I mean, it it most definitely could be. I mean, you're right. Circumstances like that, that's what you look for. There's also, with the crooked neck woman, a lot of people have said it was Susan Arnold, but it's the wrong Susan Arnold because there was Mm -hmm. a John and Susan Arnold that lived here, and then there was a John and Susan Arnold lived in Uxbridge. She was the one that hung herself. She gets associated with the property, crooked neck and stuff like that. Well, there's actually something came out recently in the news that there was a giant that had been unearthed near this property. And a lot of people are saying that's actually what it is that we're seeing is just a giant person trying Mm. to fit through the hallways of this house. That is so interesting. I had no idea. You're going to have to send me that info because... That makes complete sense. 
Yeah, because when we were investigating for Kindred, and you guys pointed out to us too, like, so the previous owner had a daycare center in the Hallam for 20 years, which I'd like to think if she thought it was dangerous, she probably wouldn't have done that. But we found these drawings that the kids drew of like an actual woman or person with their neck crooked. And it reminded me so much of the haunting of Hill House, (laughs) you know, and it was really bizarre. And it's just these multiple drawings of this kind of crooked neck person, which is so strange. It's interesting. No, it's definitely makes you scratch your head. <laughs> yeah. You're like, where, who draws that? Especially this was pre-haunting of Hill House, obviously. This was years ago. So what do you think has been the craziest experience you guys have had since you purchased the house? I would probably say still to the day is the shadow figure that we saw. Yeah, yeah. So that's the one that you had seen before your son saw the mist. Uh, I think he saw the mist first. Well, that was probably a few weeks before. Like this was like a, a full body shadow figure, like well-defined. And Jen and I saw it both at the same time, which made it even more awesome because usually like it's a personal experience because we didn't catch it on camera. Was this during an investigation or was this just in the middle of the day or when did this happen? It was actually at night. We were both sleeping on the same cot for some reason. I don't know why, but she was restless. She woke me up just moving around and I had woke up and it was actually, I think it was the first night that we had left the door open into the adjoining room. Yeah. So it was the first night that we left the door open. And because for some reason we would think, you know, closing the door would keep ghosts out. Closing it and locking it. Yeah. Closing and locking it. Yeah, right. It's just like when you, as long as your feet and hands are under the blanket, nothing bad can happen to you. Exactly. But I woke up and I just see this thing looking around the corner of the doorway, looking at us. And I didn't freak out because I had seen shadow figures before, but just not as well defined as this. And I'm like, okay, I know what I'm seeing. I know I'm awake and like, I'm not saying anything. And then Jen was the one that's like, tell me you're seeing this. And she said it out loud. And as she talked, it scurried out of the way real fast. And I'm like, yep, that was a shadow figure. And we just high-fived each other. And we're like, that was so awesome. It wasn't like we were freaking out. or It was upsetting. We didn't catch it on camera. Right. But it was still cool that we both saw it at the same time. Yeah. You guys are definitely paranormal investigators because most people would have run screaming from the home and would never return. (laughs) I love how you're like, we high-fived. It was cool. We went back to sleep. It was great. That was nice. I mean, it, honest to God, just didn't give us like a scary feeling. It didn't. No, the house doesn't give us a bad vibe. Right. Yeah. Having been in there multiple days, I definitely do not get a bad vibe from the house until I get into the basement. Like there's just a very different feeling down there. And I don't know if that's just because it really is like a textbook, spooky New England basement, or if there is actually something else down there. How do you guys feel about the basement? It's been weird. Like it's hit or miss sometimes. Sometimes you'll go down there and like won't feel anything. Then sometimes you go down and it's a little bit of a heavy feeling. But still at the same time, it's not the typical heavy feeling you would associate with something that's malevolent or, you know, if that makes sense. It's just you know there's something there. You're kind of tapping into that sensitivity thing. And it's still, it's making you aware that it's there. And it's like, we just started upkeep of the house. Right, maintenance. Maintenance, thank you. (laughs) And everything that we've done, everybody that was here working with us, I was like, look, before you swing a hammer, 
before you do anything, you explain to these spirits what you're doing. I don't care how stupid you feel. That's just being respectful. And we haven't had no problems. I'm sure those contractors are like, this is new. This is a new instruction. But, you know, actually, I've never heard of someone kind of instructing people beforehand to kind of like talk the spirits through a renovation or and I think that might be a good idea for people who think their house might be haunted like actually show them what you're doing and why because that tends to really stir up activity so I bet you guys were concerned about that right oh absolutely I mean a lot of the residential cases I dealt with like back when I was on a team it was always seemed to revolve around renovations and things like that so it was like just let them know we're doing this because, you know, the house has been here almost 300 years. We want it here for another 300 years. It's just fixing it up a bit. You know, we're not making any changes, just reinforcing stuff. I mean, it's a beautiful house and the property is beautiful. And like, obviously, I felt safe. there. I brought my daughter there when we were filming. You know, one of the nice things when we're local, because I live in Rhode Island, is that I can bring the babysitter and my daughter out for dinner or something for our dinner break. And so Charlotte loved it. Like, I remember I have a picture of her just running on the lawn and she felt very comfortable there and very safe. And so it's just so interesting that you have this house with this kind of crazy reputation, but then you can sit there on the porch in the summer and just feel completely at ease. Have you had any people come in who felt otherwise, like any of the teams or anything? Has anybody had to leave or anybody felt like something bad happened to them there? Yeah, we've had multiple teams that can't stay overnight. The majority of them that can't stay are psychic mediums that feel like they're personally being attacked or Targeted. Targeted. I should say not necessarily attacked because nobody's ever, I don't believe anybody's ever felt attacked, but they feel like whatever is here knows that they're psychic mediums and they're just being picked on. I think a lot of people come here just too overwhelmed with the movie. Yeah. And they're like, oh my God, you know, we're walking into walking into hell. And we explain to them, it's not that at all. I'm like, it's a classic haunting. It's intelligent. You know, you treat them with respect and you're going to get the same in return. We haven't had anything say otherwise. Right. Although at the same time, we've had multiple people tell us to be aware that it's drawing us in. It's making us feel comfortable. So we always have that in the back of our mind. We know enough paranormal people that we do have people that look out for us, that watch our movements, that watch our body language, that can, you know, tell. If we're acting funny. Yeah. (laughs) I wonder if whatever's there maybe has a distrust for mediums or something just because, I mean, Lorraine Warren was really kind of the catalyst for the whole Bathsheba Sherman story beginning. However well-meaning they may have been or wherever that came from, you know, I don't ever want to say that someone did something purposefully. I don't think anybody spread that story on purpose, you know, in a negative way, but it happened. And I wonder if they are very aware of everything that went on in the house kind of with Ed and Lorraine. And so now when someone comes in and says they're psychic, the energy there automatically kind of recoils or goes on guard kind of. Do you think that could be a possibility? It could definitely be a possibility. I mean, the problem is the whole reason we're here is because Ed and Lorraine Warren were here. Something definitely did happen here. You had Pyro, which was Keith and Carl Johnson's team. They called in the Warrens. The Warrens came in. They witnessed things. And For us to sit there and say, well, I don't believe that happened, that's kind of foolish because unless you're there to personally experience something, Mm -hmm. how can you 
tell somebody what they're experiencing. I saw it in the parents' eyes when they came with your show with Kindred. They went through something. Absolutely. Like, I definitely think, you know, something definitely happened there. I felt like Cindy in particular was having this kind of throwback moment when she was there, when she was shaking. She didn't even, like, she couldn't wait to get out of there. She ended up just going and waiting in the car and was like, I'm done, never coming back here. So I think that there was definitely something there happening. And I wonder if the parents' energy, they have a really great energy about them. Especially Andrea, like she walks in the room and you can just feel her presence. There's a reason why that woman, everywhere she goes, people just end up hugging her and confiding every bit of their being to her. Like she's just this very warm energy. There's something about her and them. You know, obviously, like Bathsheba was not in that house. And I think that was the biggest story that came from that, regardless of what happened. And so I'm just wondering if maybe the spirits are kind of where I can't imagine what the energy was like in that house. Like you have the parents and the Warrens together. I wish I could be a fly on the wall of what that was like. Like that is like a perfect storm of energy, you know, and then whatever spirits are there reacting like that must have just been the most tumultuous moment for that house. I could see the house almost being scarred from it, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it makes sense. Yeah. It's interesting to look back and look at the different dynamics and look at the different situations and what we know now compared to what we knew then. And and I think that's one of the greatest things you guys are doing is that you're saying the house has spirits that it is haunted and you're very cautious about it, but you're also working hard to kind of figure out why getting the history right and everything. And I I know the Historical Society watched the episode with us at the home and they were really thrilled. And I think that is such an important message for the field in general. Like just because you're correcting history doesn't mean a place isn't haunted. It's important to at least get that part right as much as we can. And I think we're so lucky right now too because we have so many resources that I know when I first started investigating, we did not have. I remember just going into the town clerk's office in your town and just going back through those deeds all the way to where I couldn't even read them anymore because they were like old English cursive. (laughs) Yes, we've seen that. Yes, Yes. I have a hard time deciphering. Yeah, so that's a great message. And I think it's really awesome of you guys to open the house up the way you have. I feel like some people might look at that like you're trying to make a business out of it or something. But I think that there's a way to do it respectfully. And so how how are you guys kind of navigating that? It's really hard because if you want to consider it like supply and demand, especially with the new movie coming out, people like, are, I won't really say demanding dates, but we're just always constantly getting emails. It's like wanting to book this, wanting to book that. People wanting to have weddings here. yeah, And it's like, Uh, (laughs) we definitely don't want to turn it into a circus. And that's what we've said from day one. And we love that there are so many people interested in it, but it honestly has been really hard to try and navigate the two, to be able to let people in and the right people in and the people that want to be here for the right reasons and to not go overboard and be like, okay, this is way too overwhelming. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I said earlier before I started interviewing you guys is kind of reminded the audience that it's a residence. It's a house. People live there. You know, when I was there, you guys have multiple security cameras up. And I remember on breaks, we would just sit and just watch car after car just pull up and people almost feeling like they 
have every right to just walk up to your door. I mean, I know that our crew had to stop multiple people. And it's so strange to me like that people actually feel like they can just roll on up. And I think actually at one point, a guy just walked right in and we were like, hi, we're working here and this is a house. But it has that reputation. What is that like living around that? Most days aren't too, too bad. I feel like most people have been pretty respectful, but we definitely find from right now until fall time is the worst. And people, I don't know why, but for the last probably two, three weeks, maybe it's because the trailer for the new movie, people are pulling onto the property all the time now. Last night, we had somebody pull into the end of the driveway at what, 1230 this morning, and they were parked out there for like a good 15 minutes before Corey went out there. Last night was the first time it felt like an evasion. Who just does that on somebody's property in the middle of the night? Yeah, that's bold. So I'll just once again spread that message to the audience that this is a house and you can contact their website and book like everyone else if you wanted to take a chance with that. Do you guys have to ever call the police or anything? I feel like you must have them on speed dial. Haven't yet. Haven't yet because that's one thing that Jen and I agreed upon was we knew what we were getting ourselves into as far as having to deal with that sort of element. But at the same time, it's like, if we're giving them access, if they go through the proper channels, which with the previous owner, that was never an option. Mm -hmm. But if we're giving them that option, as long as they go through the proper channels, it's like... Hopefully it will cut it down. It will cut it down. We understand there's always going to be that element we have to deal with. But as long as they're remaining respectful and stuff like that. But like last night, there was no need of like what transpired last night. I mean, that kind of got out of hand. Yeah. I and think they, that, they even threw something at Corey. We thought it was water, but I think it might've been a Red Bull. Or yeah, like, it was a Red Bull or something like that. And it's like, seriously, is this what it's come to? You know, they're dressed up like ninjas. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I'm fighting out here with like five ninjas in a car. And if you hadn't gone out there, what was their plan? Were they going to get out of the car and try to get in the house? You know, that's, most of the time, I'm sure it's pretty relaxing and chill, but there's got to always be that kind of little bit in your mind where you're like, anyone could just roll up here. Everyone knows where this house is, especially locally. Everyone knows where the house is. You know, I feel like I constantly see stories about the house and you guys are very generous with your time and with the information and, and with opening the doors. So I think you're right. Hopefully over time, it will kind of peter out and people will realize that they can have access in some way now. That being said, if people do want to visit the house or get in touch with you guys, what can they do? They can visit our website, which is theconjuringhouse.com. I know it's very original. <laughs> or our Facebook page, which is the farm on Round Top Road, because the conjuring house was taken. <laughs> so. <laughs> Well, as always, it's a pleasure talking to you guys. I'm hoping to see you in person again soon since things seem to be kind of improving and I'm vaccinated. I'm ready to take on the world. <laughs> so Absolutely. You guys are welcome anytime. <laughs> yeah, we would love that. Well, thank you so much. And again, anyone who is interested in the farm, please go check out their website and their Facebook. And these are two very lovely people who also happen to be paranormal investigators and I think of, you know, whenever I say what I do for a living at like a dinner party or something, how everyone asks me so many questions. But I think you guys might one up me on that. I feel like the second you tell people you own the conjuring house, like, that's it. 
Uh, it's hit or miss. Some people yeah, get some people. Funny. Some people don't. They're like, you did what? <laughs> I love it. All right. Well, thank you so much, guys, and I hope to visit soon. Thank, thank you for you. having us. Amy. To me, the farm stands as one of the most iconic paranormal locations in the world. The lore, legends, and ghost stories surrounding it cannot be denied and will forever be associated with that property. It's also a place that has taught us so many lessons in the paranormal field. It's shown us what happens when a haunt becomes commercialized and sensationalized, and what happens when the history is reported incorrectly. It's pretty clear how that has affected the living who are associated with the farm, but let's not forget how it affects the dead as well. Not just their spirits, but their memory. I'll be watching and probably investigating that house as the years go by, and while I think it's in very good hands at the moment, I'm incredibly interested to see how the activity evolves. I very strongly believe a haunt responds directly to the living who surround it, and I think we're just a few chapters in what's going to be quite the story of the farm on Roundtop Road. I'm Amy Bruni, and this was Haunted Road. Haunted Road is a production of iHeartRadio and Grim and Mild from Aaron Mankey. The podcast is written and hosted by Amy Bruni. Executive producers include Aaron Mankey, Alex Williams, and Matt Frederick. The show is produced by Rima Ilkayali and Trevor Young. Taylor Hagerdorn is the show's researcher. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.